Welcome to the Working Mama podcast, a show that provides real-world tips, tricks, and advice to all working mamas on how they can have a career, family, and hopefully one day break the glass ceiling. Hey there, Mama. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Mama podcast. Well, I have an absolutely amazing episode for you today. One of the things, if you've listened for a while, I love talking about and breaking down some of the societal norms and the social constructs, particularly relating to gender equality and the shared labor between both mothers and fathers uh, in a relationship. And today I have not one, but two amazing guests that have come on to talk about this topic together. And it's Colleen McKinnon and Rob Starrick. They are both experts in their field and have real world experience and so many hints, tips and gold that we talk about. And I know between the three of us, we could probably have talked about this for such a lot longer, but yes, it is a slightly longer episode than what we usually do. But I have to say, please just listen to it if it's over a few different area, um, you know, time gaps. It's wor- well worth it. And I'd also suggest, you know, if you're a female or a mum listening to this, get your husband to listen to it as well because Rob has a real good father's perspective. And I think, you know, if you've probably heard me talk about this before, but the mental load and gender equality, I believe, actually starts in the home. So the more that we can actually get that shared labor happening at home, it will certainly then have a flow and effect into organizations. And we talk about this a little bit more. So without further ado, let's get into it. Just quickly, as always, I would love if you could leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and also share this episode with anyone else, particularly your your husband or you know a male friend that might be interested or, you know, learn something and get some good takeaways from this episode. Okay, let's get into it. Cheers. Welcome to the Working Mama podcast. Today, I have not but one, but two very special guests with me, Colleen and Rob. So I'm just going to kick it straight off and I will start with Colleen. Would you like to introduce yourself and give us a little bit about your background? Sure. Thanks very much, Karina. And it's really lovely to be here. I'm the principal and founder of Inclusivity Quotient, which is a consulting firm specializing in engaging men in gender equality. That's my day job. Beyond that, I would add social justice advocate, doing what I can to advance the rights of marginalized groups, such as those who identify as LGBT, Indigenous, or asylum seekers. And finally, and this probably should come first, I'm the mom of two tenacious Gen Zs and a partner to my very patient and progressive husband who carries more than 50% of the load. Oh, I can't wait to get into it. (laughs) And Rob, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Karina. Thanks for having me here today. So for your listeners, my name's Rob Storick. So I would call myself a a dadvocate or or an advocate for fatherhood. Absolutely not an expert on the topic. I'm still learning and failing as much as anyone else. So I've got two young children. My daughter is actually going to turn seven in a couple of weeks. She's in year one, which I kind of can't believe on its own. And I've got a little boy who's four and a half. So I've got a regular pay job that I do in the not-for-profit sector, which is four days a week. And then I have one day with my children and try and be as active and involved with the kids while they're young as I possibly can. And kind of to Colleen's point, I've got also a very patient and supportive partner in Julia, and we try and share the load as equally as we can 
and make sure that the balls that we do drop are the rubber ones and not the glass ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was only just uh, actually released a podcast this week and then she gave the analogy around the rubber and the and the glass balls. So yeah, uh, it's certainly, it's, I really love it. It's, it's a good analogy. So today we're going to talk about gender equality and even gender inequity around, you know, definitely parents, but also then understanding that as well from the father's lens, because we know that we need all parties to come together. We know that social, you know, gender equality and reducing the pen gender pay gap isn't a female topic as what some may lead to believe that it's actually a society topic. And so gender inequality as what we talk about is literally undoing hundreds of years of patriarchal, cultural and systemic mindsets built into our social construct. What do both of you think are some of those gender norms that have contributed to, to this inequality? And what are some of those systemic barriers creating gender diversity and where does it all begin? And I don't know this is a very heavy and loaded question to begin with. Who wants to kick it off? Well, do you want to have first first crack at it? Sure, I'm happy to go. And look, before we get into the norms that contribute to gender inequality, I think it's really important to unpack the source so that we can move towards interventions that will prevent these inequities in the first place that these norms create kind of like a mechanic, we take our car to the garage, we don't want him to um, remove the sound for five minutes, we want him to get to the source under the hood. So, you know, if we think of our own upbringings, and, you know, whether, regardless of our age, really, most of us grew up with a full time working dad and a part time working or stay at home mom, in part due to one of the least generous and highly gendered parental leave schemes, and limited access to affordable childcare. Um, now that's contributed to our global ranking of fifth highest in the world, the rate of women working part-time and a much more entrenched male breadwinner, female carer culture. And we know that will slowly change. There are new reforms, but at the minute we still have a generation of little boys and little girls growing up where dads work full-time and moms work part-time with few exceptions, Rob being Rob and his family being one of them. Um, but if you think about the messages we absorb from this very early age around the role of boys and girls, men and women, despite advances, and Karina, you've got young children, most of the books, films, and video games targeted to toddlers through to teenagers still have a boy as the lead or hero and a girl in a supporting role. In my work with men in corporate Australia, we look at the cover of boys versus girls magazines. The headlines in the girls magazine, just to pick one. Fall fashion you'll love, my dream hair, wake up pretty. Boys magazine, you know, you have these images of various types of careers from fighter pilot to chef to fire, fire, engine driver, whatever, fireman, firewoman. But the point being that these are all about exploring your future. You can be anything you want to be. It's all aspirational. With the girls being relational, how to be a good best friend, or what matters is how you look. It, there's, you know, the great line that comes back to is, you know, girls are raised, girls are inst or ornamental, boys are instrumental. And that hasn't changed a whole lot. But what it means is by the age of six, girls begin to doubt their ability relative to boys. And by adolescence, they begin to lose interest in STEM subjects and careers. Now, these are the, the jobs of the future. And if we don't have more women in these roles, we're actually going to, we're not going to progress, we're going to regress. 
Yeah. And this doesn't improve with age, these influences. Two-thirds of film critics and book reviewers in both the U.S. and the U.K. are men. And they're more likely to recommend films and books, regardless of the genre, with a male lead. If we look here at home in analysis of mainstream media, women are quoted much less frequently than men, and male journalists are less likely to quote women in their stories. So it leads to what Marianne Sighard refers to as this authority gap, the underrepresentation and the undervaluing of women's perspectives, as well as this confidence gap amongst some women and an overconfidence amongst men. And I am getting to what's the impact going to be. But, you know, it, this appears everywhere in our workplaces, in the media, until recently in our parliament, men occupying the majority of leadership roles. And so what do these things, how do these things play out? The assumption that women are no longer as interested, once are no longer interested in careers once they start a family. And by extension, that they'll be less committed to their job and less likely to be interested in leadership positions than their male counterparts. The way we still raise boys and girls to a certain extent, boys to take risks and be adventurous, girls to be compliant and conciliatory, to be nice, results in men being seen as leaders, assertive, decisive. Women as good team members, collaborative, conciliatory, but this impacts, of course, promotion decisions. And the stereotype that persists around women as nice versus agentic impacts performance evaluations. Assertive doesn't fit the feminine norm. And, and, you know, finally, with regard to this scant parental leave and the reforms underway, there is one area of concern. We've just lumped 18 weeks primary care and, and two weeks secondary. We've removed that, what's become a gender nomination, to 20 weeks, which is still very inadequate compared to the 52-week average of the OECD. But also we have no designated father portion. And so the risk is what we're gonna do, what we're gonna have now is women taking 20 weeks and men taking none. So those are some of the things that I think they're, they're the source, but also the result of that source. Yeah, thanks for that. It's it's certainly very interesting. And I know even as a mother with two young boys. It's actually interesting to see you talk about then the female role model in a movie. My son is like went through an obsession with Elsa and it's amazing that the Elsa role model, he even had an outfit. He wore Elsa to his um, book week last year <laughs> as a four-year-old. Very cute. And But I had a few comments saying, you've let a boy wear a dress to book week. And I was like, why not? Yeah. And it's also about unpacking and changing those stereotypes. So mm -hmm. as what you're saying about those social constructs and but I, I just sat here nodding of when you're saying about the magazine headlines, those authority gaps, more women in STEM. It's mm. we know these things as well. And it's yeah, it's sad that I studied STEM when I was at university and not a whole lot's changed. Very small parts. I heard a stat recently that women in engineering has gone up from 12 to 16 percent. Seventy-five percent of those sixteen percent of women are educated overseas. Mm. Wow! Yeah, yeah. Another interesting stat: we have sixteen percent here, but in North America, it's twenty-one percent of women graduating engineering, and in some Muslim-majority countries, it's up to forty-five percent. So we know there's something culturally that we need to address as well. Mm. 
And Rob, how about yourself? What are you seeing about where some of those and what is your experience as well from those gender norms? Yeah, well, look, to, to back up what Colleen was was explaining, you know, the, the patriarchy runs deep and it runs deep in this country, you know, it permeates our culture, our mindsets and, and our institutions. And, you know, historically, Australia has what I think we can shorthand call a very blokey culture, you know, it, and it's, has a, it has focused on a very hyper-masculine, narrow sort of definition of masculinity as well. So, you know, I, every, I you know, agree completely with everything Colleen said. You know, it's, it was a great, you know, broad brush of the landscape. I think the the additional challenge for men is that, you know, a lot of what we have set up in terms of culture and systems, and, and Colleen talked about paid parental leave and even our parliamentary institutions and our, you know, our corporate institutions, they're set up for, you know, for men, you know, and they're, they're set up for men to be sort of extroverted, dominant, controlling, you know, holding all the space, taking charge of decisions, being stoic and fearless and showing no emotion or regret or doubt. It's that sort of that sort of culture that we're really trying to, to penetrate and unravel and, and unlock. So to back up what Colleen was talking about, if you're a man that really wants to be kind of open and sensitive and vulnerable and wants to wear their heart on their sleeve and is really focused on being a nurturing, loving parent and wanting to dote on their children, it can feel hard from a cultural and from a systems perspective. You might not feel comfortable kind of being open about how much you love your kids and all the little goofy things you do with them. And it may be difficult for you to sort of front up to work and ask for a big chunk of parental leave or talk about it with your coworkers. So, you know, the the way that masculinity and men, to Colleen's point, have kind of dominated all our spaces, it's also crowded out a lot of different types of masculinity as well and obviously we've got a big long-standing problem with the types of masculinity in this country and how we create something more healthy so you know parenthood and fatherhood and men stepping up to do more of the caring is to me it's almost the first line of 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 attack really it's where we can really from our homes through to our community schools neighborhoods and and, and workplaces really start to buck some of these these gender norms and these stereotypes and see men you know being committed and explicit about wanting to be caring parents and loving parents you know, helping share the load with their partners being the one that's there at the school doing not just the pickups and the drop-offs but library duty reading duty canteen duty talking about taking parental leave and encouraging others in the workplace so you know we can have these champions at different parts of our society and i really do think that you know these individuals, if they're sort of bucking the norms and sort of charting a new path, they can really have a butterfly effect across our community. And we can really start to see our masculinity change. We can see men stepping out of the workforce. And then hopefully we're seeing men kind of share that space way better with women and others in the community and not kind of holding on to it the way they did in the 20th century. Yes, yeah, certainly. And as what Colleen said about those, those role models with young kids, the mm. more that our kids, and I'm sure like Rob, you you spending a day a week with your children and working four days a week can actually then have that ripple effect because then as what we're saying, we're trying to change, you know, really young kids' perceptions about what is the role of a mother and what is the role of a father father as well. And I know from a personal experience, my hu- husband is like, no, we're, we've agreed and, and he's very committed to, you know, we do share the load quite well. Yes, he works five days a week, but he's pretty much out the door at five o'clock so we can be at home for for dinner and we have it together as a family and we'll share the load with who's cooking and, and things like that. So I'm I'm really respectful for him and he's willing to to make some sacrifices as well. Just about he goes, no, I've got we've got two young kids. 
I want to be there. I think it's also a learning off his own father of getting home mm. at eight, nine o'clock late at night. And he goes, I don't want that. Yeah. Well, you know, if that it's kind of the around that do you work to live or do you live to work kind of yeah, absolutely. approach. And if I can add on to what you were saying, Karina, talking about your husband looking at his dad, it's been exactly the same with my father. You know, my father was his dominant part of his working life was 70s, 80s, and, and 90s, and he was the classic male breadwinner. You know, he worked his guts out. He traveled a lot. He had long hours, high-pressure job, because that was what was expected of him. And I got used to a dad that was there and loving and present predominantly on the weekends or after work when he was tired, but then away a lot, in Canberra a lot for work, overseas for work, and and that's what it was like. And I guess, you know, it was no fault of his own. He was trying to provide the best standard of living he could for his family. And he was in a career that demanded that of him. But I certainly looked at that as I got to the age of having kids and was like, well, I don't want to be that absent. I want to try and have more control over my presence in my kid's life and try to shape my career accordingly, really. Elaine, I remember when we were speaking before in preparation for this podcast, you said that you, in some of the men's circles that you've run, the older men that have got grandkids have actually reflected on this of just about what Rob's just saying about how they actually mm. want to be there more for their grandkids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's certainly I think it's the millennial dads who are driving the change like Rob and your your husband, Karina. But in the circles that we do run we've it's intergenerational so we have dads young dads and we have grandfathers and what's interesting is as the young dads are explaining how much they want to be active much more active in their family's life and their children's lives the the older gentlemen are sitting there sort of reflecting not saying a lot but after some time they're like you know what these things weren't available to me when I was, when my kids were little, there was no flex work. There was no shared parental leave, but I have grandchildren now, or I have aging parents. I want to take, I want to work flexibly so I can spend, help my children with their children, help, you know, bring my kids, my grandkids to school or bring my aging parents to their medical appointments. So it, it for me, it really is around engaging men across the board to help overcome what has been generations if not centuries of of you know these gendered norms that are holding everyone back so what are some other ways that people so if they're coming up against barriers or is obviously we've just talked quite a lot about those role models and but it's that also requires confidence and also men to to actually stand up and sometimes they may be seeing that that next promotion and go, oh, I might just be quiet just in case. And and even probably the same thing as well for some women of, oh, look, I might not sit back. I mean, my husband might be getting a promotion and things like that. So obviously turning the tide for this starts at a pretty young age, even probably before birth. I know when we were pregnant with our first son, we didn't tell anyone when, anyone what the gender was because we didn't want a whole wardrobe of grey clothes. I'm sorry, of blue clothes. <laughs> Instead, we got grey, which was fine. I was quite happy with that because <laughs> um, I didn't want it to be him to be stereotyped mm. from just such a young age of oh, you got a boy and there you go. So, what, I, I guess it's not a silver bullet with these things either, and it's taking mm. taking them mm. in probably scenario and in isolation as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, we, I think we have to look at this as a life cycle approach and who do we need to bring in? And so just as you said, when you're 
son had the Elsa costume on, you had parents saying, you really let him wear this? And so it has to start with parents. And if parents understood the damage that these norms cause for both boys and girls, they'd obviously be very willing to come on board. But we don't do a lot around that. It's it's hard to reach parents. You know, you, we reach parents in schools, but kids are already five years old by that time. It's the same thing, you know, if we think about it life cycle, we have to reach teachers. We have to ensure that teachers are not reinforcing these gendered norms. I have a daughter who is very good at maths and sciences, but she said, you know, my, my science teacher and my math teacher spoke to the boys in the class, taught to the boys in the class, ignored the girls. Again, this bias around yeah, that is, you know, has been debunked by many incredible academics like mm -hmm. Gina Rippon in the UK or Cordelia Fine here in Australia. We, there are more differences within our sexes than there are across sexes. And so, so it's about, okay, it's time to move past that. But if we don't take it as a, a whole of system or a life cycle approach, we're not going to reach all of these influencers along the way. The media is another example. You know, the media, we've, we've got to hold the media to account. In the UK, they introduced legislation where you can no longer show men and women in stereotypical roles. Unilever changed its policy when it was pointed out that only 2% of its advertising showed women in professional roles. Wow. Mm. And I guess it's not until you call these things out to people go, oh, that really isn't good either. Exactly. Yeah. And what's the impact? Yeah. And obviously, Rob, you're, as you said, a, a dad advocate. How is your experience going through this and, you know, coming up across some of these you know, to change the tide, really. Yeah. Look, it's been, it's certainly been a fascinating journey. It's and it's had its its peaks and its in its troughs. I think building on what we were talking about before, I was quite. I mean, I guess my my real starting point is for any dads or men that might be listening. Like I spent most of my adult life until my mid thirties being completely apathetic, if not terrified of children. I thought I don't want kids. <laughs> I don't like them. I don't want anything to do with them. The thought of having kids absolutely terrified me. So if younger me could see me here sort of waxing lyrical about fatherhood and the joys of it and trying to encourage other men, that he'd be mystified. So I say that like any man, any man can step up and be a fantastic parent. You don't need to have had a wealth of skills or experience or babysitting or, or whatever. So I guess when we're approaching having our first child, I was you know thinking about the lessons in it, thinking about everything we've already talked about. And thinking, okay, well, I want to be really active. I, I want to balance family and work. I want to be there for, for my for my child. And so Julia, my wife, and I are really having a conversation about how do we best do that. So I guess the first point really is you try and have a very clear and open line of communication with your partner and come to an agreement about, okay, how do we want to approach parenting? You know, it's it's all plans need changing, but to at least I think get on the same page about how are you going to share the load? What's important to you as a, as a family? And every family is a bit different. And what are we going to do in terms of juggling work and career? And, and to Colleen's very first point about sort of gender norms and biases, I remember the very first conversation I had with Julia when we were talking about, okay, who's going to do the lion's share of the work? And we were going in trying to be as equal as possible. Our first draft solution was that I would work full time and Julia would work three days. And we both thought, okay, great. And then we took a moment and thought, wait a minute, if we want to be equal, why am I working more than you? What? Why does my career matter more than you? But even with 
the most like <laughs> the the best intent, we still fell back into those norms very quickly. Mm. So I think the first part is a clear, honest communication about you know about how you can support each other th- through parenting. And I think partly for for dads, and I've been reflecting on this for a while because I've been sort of in this fathered space for doing the advocacy for about five six years now. And I'd be really interested in, in both your thoughts, Colleen and Karina. Is I don't think men are used to fighting for things that they want as much in these sort of spaces. I mean, we have a long history of, you know, women's rights movement in Australia and across the world. Things like men, you know, I don't think we're accustomed to what it takes the the long-term advocacy to bring about this sort of systemic change. I think we, and, you know, I'm, you know, middle-class white male, we kind of used to have everything handed to us on a silver platter and having a set of cultures and institutions built for us. And this is one where there isn't a silver bullet. You're absolutely right. It's going to take some some men sticking their necks out, saying this is what matters to me. It matters to me to be a father. It matters to me having flexible work and job sharing or looking for part-time work and pushing the case up and in, up inside their their workplaces, their communities, and you know, and amongst their social networks. And I think it's part of the reality, you know, I've been reflecting on it for a while as I think Men just have to sort of stump up and 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 sort of fight for it as well. And as you were both saying, gender equality is not a woman's issue. It's a whole of community, whole of society issue. And I think this is one where we just need men to not only be role models, but to to be champions for this for this case and for for, for pushing for equal parenting. You know, I think sometimes in my in my journey, like I with both my kids, I took extended parental leave for each of them. I took a few weeks off at their birth. I was really trying to be as hands on as possible. I got pretty good support from both my workplaces to do that. But sometimes it was a bit um, lonely and a bit isolating. And you are sticking your neck out and you are the only dad doing it. And I remember my my first experience of going back to work after having extended parental leave. And I went back. So it was the first time I was working part-time. And looking back, I had a unrealistic and a naive impression of what that would entail in terms of workload and how to juggle things that's in the office and what, and I hadn't even thought about really what happens when the kids get sick or I get sick and they bring home a daycare bug and suddenly my four-day week becomes a one-day week or a two-day week. And that was incredibly stressful. It was a big strain on my mental health at the time. And so I think part of it too is trying to go in with eyes wide open that it's a it's joyous. Like being with your kids and being active is so fleeting when they're young and it's so precious and you don't want to regret it to Colleen's point. But you do need to go in with eyes wide open that there's going to be challenges. It's going to be exhausting but it's going to be worth it so i think you know it's it is leadership it's 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 role models and i think probably the last point we can talk about systems as well but i think it's trying to find solidarity where you can you know amongst mums and dads and colleagues and friends or your father or you know your grandparents and just to find that support network where you can you know express your frustrations or your joys and test ideas and just have that that network around you to help you through and i think particularly for dads that's really important because being maybe the dad in the playground in the middle of the week can feel a bit lonely. You can feel like a bit of a novelty, but yeah, stick with it because it's going to be worth it. So well said, Rob. I know my sister and her and my brother-in-law both have gone four days a week each so they could actually then have that time with their with their children. And I remember when my brother-in-law said he's only going to go only, but he's going to go back four days a week. And I remember my parents' response. It was, oh, no, what about his career? What's going to mm-hmm. happen? But it wasn't my sister wasn't put in the same context. And I'm yep. thinking my sister's probably a little bit more career-orientated than what he is. And it was interesting, the different perceptions on the, oh, no, he's not working five days a week. And then yeah. 
but it's just put out there. But it was such a good way to to do it. But as you said, sticking your neck out. Did you get any negative feedback from you know many people of when you were sticking your neck out? A little bit, yeah, yeah. Look, it was. I should say it was mostly supportive. I think there probably were some some curious looks, and it was absolutely to your point, Karina. I got asked questions about taking leave that Julia never got asked. And let's be honest, she took 10 months of maternity leave twice. I took three months twice. So she did way more than me, but there was no questions about what would do for her career. and What about her boss? And would you get bored at home? Like I was the one that got those questions, not her. I think the first time round when I was working part-time for the first time, I think it did cause some frustrations at work uh, in particular, because I was trying to draw some pretty, clear boundaries around when I was and was not available and when I could and could not do travel. And yeah, I I think, you know, to be absolutely fair, it was a small organization. I don't think any of us, boss or me, any of us had really thought through the ramifications, but yeah, that was a bit tough. And it would look, it had a really big impact on my mental health in a very short period of time. I went from thinking I was juggling the balls pretty well on the whole, to feeling I was failing pretty spectacularly of both. And that was really hard. And I think it's, there's been some fantastic research done on the years around, you know, the work conflict amongst dads. And I think at that point I had a very high work conflict stress going on in my life. I think to there has been some progress, I think, in terms of culture and policies available and men taking leave in the last maybe, say, two to three years in particular. I think COVID's had a bit to do with that. So it, it, I feel like there is a there is a broader acceptance when you're talking about working part-time and taking your, I call it my daddy day at work, no one blinks an eye. And to be honest, no one's really blinked an eye for, for several years now. So I think that's fantastic. But I I think for men, you know, sometimes you can go into taking parental leave or being an active parent and kind of doubting your own skills. Am I really going to be good at this? Am I going to be as good as my wife? And then if you get some of that negative feedback from managers or colleagues, I think it can really feed on you and it can be corrosive. And you know, I think for men, you've got to try and have a sense of self-belief. And, you know, what I continue to remind myself is parenting is like any other skill, right? It's the on-the-job training is probably the most valuable thing of the lot. And I say that as someone who's written a book about fatherhood, but I'd say <laughs> do, doing more is better than reading. And I think that's where the confidence comes from, from dads. And look, I always encourage dads to take the long-term view. And that's back to what, you know, Colleen was talking about with working with, you know, older men in the boardroom is, you know, I'm, what am I now? 42, let's be honest, probably working for another 30, 35 years at least. There's oodles of time to be involved in work and travel and conferences and all all the rest. My kids are now four and seven. They've got a couple more years, then they're both in school and they're both going to be tweens and all the rest of it. So, you know, try and think of a long-term too. You've got lots of time to play catch up at work if you if you're working a, a little bit less and you know but you're only going to have these precious few years when your kids are young and you can and to Colleen's point you've got you know they're very impressionable they're little sponges absorbing everything you're doing and not doing and saying and not saying so make the most of it and try and be there even if it leads to a little bit of discomfort in the short term yeah, isn't it that they say the first seven years are the most impressionable and essentially yeah. then we spend our, the rest of our lives trying to undo some of those things that yeah, we've learned in that first seven years. So yeah, do you have anything to add to that, Colleen? Yeah, look, there's, you've made some really good points, Rob. I'll start with the last point, which is this men not feeling as skilled or men still thinking, some men still thinking that this is just an instinctual thing, maternal instinct. 
Um, one of the reasons why we absolutely need to have a portion of parental leave designated to men, and particularly the first four weeks, is because we know that's when the habits and the patterns are established. Women go into this blind as well. Julia would have been the same. How do I look after an infant? We're not, we don't have practice, right? There's no guidebook. And there's no guidebook. And, and, you know, it is more about doing than reading after the fact. But so really addressing this issue of the structural barrier, which in this, you know, in this country we are lagging. And, you know, my nephew, he and his partner just had a child last year in Canada and they introduced shared parental leave, but also this designated portion for men, for the fathers, excuse me, or the, you know, because we, they just weren't seeing the uptake. And you've probably heard this one, but in Quebec now, almost 20 years ago, they followed the Scandinavian model, introduced five weeks for men. Prior to that designated portion, they only had about 10% of men taking parental leave. And after introducing that, it's now up to 80%. Scandinavia is still ahead at 90%, but the rest of Canada followed that model about two years ago. And already in the first year, they saw an additional 10,000 fathers take up that That's amazing because we're at 12% or something, aren't we? You Sorry? We're about 12%, I think, at the moment of men taking... We are 12%. Now, on the positive side, that's a doubling from only a few years ago. And I think that speaks to the change in the attitudes amongst men. And as I say, working with intergenerational men, the millennials are really leading the charge. And whilst, to your point, Rob, men are not used to advocating. And, and frankly, women have been advocating because in mm. some cases, it was life or death advocating, correct? I mean, yeah. you know, having the vote, being able to run for office, ensuring that you could go back to work instead of being by law banned from going to back mm. to work after having children. So men are not as used to advocating, but I'm seeing a lot of young millennial dads standing up. Now, what it takes is identifying other millennial dads in your organization of like mind. And once there is that network, then it's much easier to talk to your managers and your leaders. But the other piece is around leadership, and it is about CEOs and really educating CEOs on what the benefit is. It's as really shifting the narrative from what's in it for women, and of course, we know what's in it for women, and it's important to keep reiterating that. But if we're going to continue talking about this as a slog and an obligation and a duty, mm. <laughs> as opposed to you know men who actually take parental leave, perform better on mental and physical uh, health um, tests of resilience, that they are actually more loyal to, to companies that have shared parental leave, that they are more productive at work because they actually have to be more organized, just like women have had to be for decades. So if we focus on that, and that it's a competitive advantage right now, when, when young fathers are looking at two offers, and it's a tight labor market, and one has parental leave that includes fathers and the other one doesn't, you can be sure that that is a deal breaker for many. And I think finally, it is around acknowledging the obstacles that men face that are different from women's. So as we said earlier, men still largely are the primary breadwinners in Australia, which means that for them to take parental leave, that really dramatically affects they're in the combined income, family income. And when you're paying mortgages that are outrageous with interest rate hikes and everything else, what we need to do is be working with 
corporations that can afford to provide shared parental leave and encouraging men to take that. But we also have to be advocating to our federal government to say, look, minimum wage is not enough to encourage men mm. to take this because they can't. And also that that parental leave isn't doesn't include super. Yeah. So when you're thinking as what you've both said about the long-term benefits, you've got to think about well, what's in it for for people to it, do it. Exactly right. Exactly right. And whilst the stigma, which is still worse for men because there were fewer of them, we were not yet Scandinavia with the papa lattes, mm-hmm. but that stigma and isolation is real in the sense that we don't have as many daddy support groups. We still have men who are telling us, oh, I went to the mummy support group and I really didn't feel welcome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that's working with mothers too and helping to shift that. As far as the career progression fears, look, I think we just have to be really honest about that. You were referring to a study, uh, Karina, that came out recently about dads really feeling discriminated against, that they they aren't going to necessarily have the same opportunities. But look, it's not just that women have been experiencing that, but we've got to talk to leaders and have them explain to their employees that, look, as Rob says, this is a blip. This in your whole career, like Deloitte years ago came up with this concept of career customization, meaning that there are times in your career when you can really lean in, right? And that's generally before children. Yeah. (laughs) There's times that you might have to lean out, whether it be because you're a parent or you've got um, a sick sick parent of your own, um, whatever it is, there might be some mental health issues. But, you know, as we say, there are times that we have to be acknowledged that these are going on and you just don't have the same capacity. But that's not for a lifetime. That's not for your whole career. It's that blip, that short period. Yeah. And I guess so famously, it's the the what I've referred to as the father bonus and the motherhood penalty. Mm. But I know there were reports released in the last couple of weeks that actually talk about the fatherhood penalty when they're taking on care arrangements. So it seems Mm -hmm. to be the caring penalty regardless of gender roles, which is really sad because as you both say, it's a blip. Yeah. I'm sure these people, many, you know, many parents have done the hard yards before they've had kids. And usually I know in my own case, I worked three days a week last year. I've upped that to four this year. Yes, it's not full time, but I think four days a week me is very optimal and I'm productive. People, it's also this this notion around as well, it doesn't matter how many hours you've done. You could work 60 hours, but as we know, any more than 55, your productivity goes down. So it's yeah. also about quality over quantity. Yeah. And yeah. you never, I know that I probably, I was way more productive in three days than what I was in four. I'm just getting yeah. paid for the work that I was doing anyway. <laughs> yeah. If, and if I can jump in, Karina, I think that's a great point. And I found the same too. As someone's working part-time for the last five or six years, I think the four days I work, you know, they're not long days, but they're super productive. You're not wasting many moments. You you squeeze every piece of time for what it's worth. And to Colleen's point, when we're talking, you know, what's in it for men, I think this is a really big piece missing from the caring conversation. As wonderful it is when we're talking about bonding and being with your children. If you take things like extended parental leave or you're an active carer, you bring back to the workforce a bunch of skills that are super valuable in terms of what we're talking about, multitasking, time management, organization, but even things like emotional intelligence and empathy and listening skills, communication skills, everything that we kind of put in a bucket that is required of a good manager and whatever field really, you know, you bring that back. And, you know, often I think for men, you know, reasonably they're thinking about 
what happens if I step out of the workplace? What am I missing out on? But it's actually what are you, what are you gaining at home, and then what are you bringing mm. back to the workforce? And I think all three of us can sort of testament to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is such a good point. I, I, just a quick anecdote, if I can, Karina. I was on a construction site with one of my clients, a, a young man actually, and we we're driving back, and he was talking about the difference in leadership traits, and he said, you know, my my leader, the person I report to. You know, one day I just wasn't feeling 100%. And she, you know, she could see that. She could feel it. And she just said, do you want to talk about it? She said, he said, there's not a man in the firm, with the exception, perhaps, of some fathers who would have been able to tap into that. So it's such a good point about what you learn during mm. those uh, parental leaves. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things of, it's what we're saying, pretty much that caring bias but really flipping it on its head, it's about that caring advantage and those caring skills that you bring back in. Absolutely. So I saw something recently, you know, and we have all talked about it, like when you're on parental leave, yes, people may think you've got all this time in the world where really going back to work is pretty much the holiday care. Being on leave is actually much harder than being at, at work, that's for sure. But it's it's those skills and those attributes that certainly employers should be seeing that those caring and those periods out of time, those are really critical attributes that, you know, should be at the top of the list for a selection criteria than just as the nice to haves because of, as what you've both said, the skills, the emotional intelligence, as we know, these are things that you can't necessarily go to a training course for. You can't do a management class. You can make be aware of it, but then learning it and doing it is completely different. And children force that out of us at times as well. <laughs> mm. So what can we do like of, of about improving some of these gender biases and that? So I've got a I've got a small story that this week was about quarter to five. A colleague called me on Teams and he said, oh, I can imagine you right now having two kids on either knee. And I was sort of like, this is a bit weird. And he said, I said, no, they're in, kid, in childcare. And he goes, oh, I bet you have to go pick them up soon. I said, no, husband's doing that. And he's like, oh, okay. And then I said, no, I'm, I'm on dinner duty because we split it. And he's like, oh, okay. And that, but it shut him up straight away. Cause I pushed back to him. I thought, no, I'm going to overcome your biases and things. What is it that we can do to improve these gender biases and improve the support for both working parents? Is it just calling it out or I guess advocating as well, but it can also be quite challenging i know at times for women because some as we know we return back into work and it's what you also referred to rob you return back to work you're thinking yep i've got it all in, t- in handle but it can also fall over really quickly because of your confidence and your mindset as well so what can we do to improve this support and also advocacy colleen do you want to have first this crack Sure. Well, first, I think your response to someone who would have grown up at a time when that's exactly what his experience would have been. So speaking to, you know, the things we learned during the, the formative years. Uh, but I think you handled that really well. No, in fact, my husband's picking up. I'm on dinner duty tonight. We share the load because you're helping to educate someone who, you know, for, for whom this is quite foreign and quite new. I think it is around having some courageous conversations in situations where someone wouldn't have been ready for that and and might have been put off now as long as it wasn't their manager or wasn't done disrespectfully I mean it can be your manager as long as it's handled well but you know it, it is sometimes talking in the eye you know when I hear something like that it makes me think that you 
don't really understand that my career is important and that's what I'm doing right now. Like this is work hours. But to, but it takes a certain amount of vulnerability. But but people react really well to that. It's not a defensive response. It's a, you know, I'd really like you to understand how this makes me feel. And 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 it actually encourages a bit of a shift too. It's the mindset shift that we're we're looking for as well. And it might make him think twice before he would say something like that again. You know, that's an interesting assumption you have, you've just made. Why would you think that? Like really getting curious. You know, it's it's an interesting assumption, but my husband and I, like most of our friends, are sharing care and career these days. It's a great experience, right? Building networks of allies at work, as I mentioned before, is really helpful, particularly for men, because it is, this is new, as Rob says, advocating is new and and actually taking parental leave is new. So that's just a couple of things. Rob? Yeah, look, and I, I would build on all that. I think that's, you know, that's all terrific, what Colleen said. I think, you know, courageous conversations, I think it's, they need to take place at the home, in families, as well as in the workplace, well, and even in schools, you know, in terms of gender bias, the ones that I'm sort of encountering right now really around some of the school stuff. So, you know, I'm the primary contact. I did all the school like enrollment forms and all that paperwork, and I try and be on top of the school stuff. But if there's ever an issue, Julia is the one that gets called first every time. This is sort of, you know, midway through the second year of schooling, and it, it just frustrates me to no end that continues to be the case. And there's been a few calls from teachers or principals about Clementine and still goes to Julia. And even if, if you know she's working and whatever, they just leave her voicemails rather than call me. So that's really frustrating. So I think for men in particular, I think it is being sort of very clear and explicit about what your focus in, in your life is. And it doesn't have to be in a, you know, an abrasive way, but I think being very clear that you know, drawing boundaries around work or when you do have to, you do have kid or school commitments, just sort of owning it and being proud of it and, you know, and and basking it in a way. If you do need to leave early to do the childcare pickup, you know, be very clear that that's, that's what's happening. Or if you're going to go to a school concert or go to the, the reading group, you know, I still know of men who would basically say, I've got a doctor's appointment, I've got to go to the dentist to go and do the school stuff because it's easier to say that to a boss than actually say they've got to go and do family things. So I think... That's partly how we start to to sort of shift the mainstream culture when dads are just talking about it, talking about, you know, what their commitments are, and then also just talking about their experiences, you know, whether it's in the workplace or outside of it. You know, with my manager, we have a catch-up every fortnight, and it starts with a well-being check, and that's just how are you going as a human being, and that is the chance to be about, you, you can be yeah, things are tough at home. The kids aren't sleeping or they're sick or, you know, my daughter's not talking to me and <laughs> whatever it is. I think it's, it's that chance to to, to show that it is a, it's a big part of your personality as well. Support, I think, is is a big one. You know, we've touched on it a couple of times. And I think at the last workplace I was in, you know, it started when we ended up having a pretty nice little dad's group, but it started with just a couple of dads talking in the kitchen one lunch, one day. It was completely ad hoc, a bit of a bump in, and one dad seemed tired, and they started trading some more stories. And from then it got to, are you doing any caring? Are you taking any parental leave? And then it got to the next step of, actually, my manager's not approving it. I'm not going to be able to take it. And then more dads came into the conversation and it went from a, you know, a water cooler chat about fatherhood to a bit of support for fathers to also a bit of 
advocacy for change inside the organization. So I think you can build it up gradually and slowly and organically. So it can be just an informal support network so you don't feel alone. And then if things aren't right in your workplace, you know, to the points we talked about with parental leave, if, if it's inadequate, you've then got a group of allies, you can go and start to make the case. And even if that is, you know, an awkward conversation and, and, a, and a courageous conversation, you've got you've got support there. You're not alone. You have solidarity. And I think that's really I think that's really important. Um, and I guess to, to dads out there, you know, the one of the last points I would just say is whenever you get an opportunity to sort of throw yourself into caring and fatherhood, just have a bias towards taking it, you know, whether it's coaching your kid's team, rocking up to daycare to read a book, going to the canteen, whatever it is, I think the more you immerse yourself, the better you'll feel. And as we said, there's heaps of benefits for that from the, from your child right through to the workplace. So try and lean in as much as you can. And I guess also realize that you're human. It's it's okay to be overwhelmed or exhausted or drop a few balls or to feel like you're not doing things great. You know, give yourself some a break, have some self-compassion. I think, you know, the, the more I go into this trying to keep a balance in work and life means managing an imbalance just as well as you can. I don't think you'll ever share your load completely numerically equally with a partner, but you try and do, you know, you try and find the realistic balance between you and one week you might do more than your partner might do more the next week. But, you know, to give yourself and your partner, you know, a break, because, you know, I think if you go in with a positive mindset and you're you're, you're truly committed to it, that's a fantastic start. It'll be, it'll be hard, but, you know, give yourself a break as well, because it it is a pretty, it's a pretty tiresome journey at times. Yeah, it's certainly not meant to be easy. And I guess it's one of those things, oh, this will be fine, it'll be okay. But as we know, no matter if you're a mother or the father, there's no guidebook. We don't know what we're doing. We're doing the best we can at each stage. And I think it's a lot of people will look to the mother of having all the answers, but we don't. It's also about really sharing sharing that load as well. And Colleen, if people are coming up against those challenges about, you know, parentally flexible work and you know working the four day a week and and having those difficult conversations because we know that not all organizations and not all leaders are advocates are not yet on this journey what can we do to you know give them those small nudges to help try and have those conversations or even what do we do when they are shut down as what rob said as one of his colleagues examples Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I pick up on where Rob points out, you know, if you start to have these conversations at work and identify those of like mind who and, and there are so many of them, there are so many young dads out there now and a lot of young mothers who recognize the importance of dads taking parental leave, that it is I think the first piece is identifying allies that you can work with and and speak to your managers and ideally speak to, you know, find a way to your lead, leaders if you're not at a higher level in the organization. But I think the other piece is around educating these leaders as well. You know, I, I think about, I was 216 when Horizon introduced shared parental leave in Australia. And I was working with a network of 10 firms. And I said, look, I can tell you that this is one of the most important things if we want to get to gender equality in Australia quickly. <clears throat> and so we made that a priority. And within a few years, Everyone had shared parental leaves, all the large firms. And then it was, okay, it's not just about having the policy in place. What are you going to do to encourage and even celebrate men going off on leave? So what they did was they started taking, gathering stories. So pictures, a thousand words, 
and testimonials from these men who were out on leave. And because this was an industry network, here were 10 firms celebrating, publishing, you know, putting in their annual reports, everything. These men out there having just a blast. It wasn't the days that they were having a bad day, of course, just having a blast with their children. And that alone encouraged competitors right away to say, oh my goodness, if we're not on board, we are going to be left behind. And that's only become much more um, relevant since, you know, the, the tight labor market and not being able to find people or the quiet resignation where people are actually leaving unless they can work flexibly and unless they can have the kinds of policies that they're looking for. And I think on that, we've talked about millennial dads, but the other interesting group is the Gen, Gen Zs coming up or Gen Zs. Not sure how we're supposed to say that, but <laughs> at, at any rate, you know, this group is not at all interested in working 24 seven as, as we're aware. And so when you have got an organization where it's, you know, absolutely okay to work remotely or to work a compressed week or to work, you know, to job share. And to that point, what we've been starting to um, showcase is leaders job sharing. So I work with two sets of clients, both of them, the CEOs are job sharing. In one case, it's, it's two women and a man, actually three people sharing the country lead role. In the other case, it's in the financial industry and it's two men running a bank. I mean, wow. this was not heard of even five years ago, right? So if you can showcase that flexible work is fine, parental leave is fantastic, then that certainly will help to um, increase the proportion and overcome some of these barriers. But I would say, find your allies, work together, educate your managers, find a way to um, reach your leaders and share this kind of um, data and information. And it's really, I guess, it's that war for talent and the way that we are, our market is at the moment, that it's also then encouraging these changes. I know also government tenders that are asking for greater diversity. What are you doing for workforce development? That is also good to see these changes taking place mm-hmm. and that are actually forcing forcing organizations, you know, to make these changes, you know, and it's it's good that it's that it's starting to take place. I know the three of us would agree that's probably not having having happening quick enough, but at least these kind of conversations and hopefully if you're listening, that you feel empowered that you can actually make these changes, that you can, even as Rob said, it starts off by just a conversation at the water cooler you know, as the song goes from little things, big things Mm. grow, but it's so true. And that's really how, you know, the tide has changed over literally hundreds of years and the role of of different genders that we have. So looking to the future, where would you both love to see? Like we could crystal ball it. What would you love to see is how the conversation changes and also their policies then continue to evolve, particularly around improving gender equality? You start, Rob. Okay. Well, look, my ultimate aspiration in in this space is that the things that we've talked about here today and, you know, sharing the load, family-friendly workplaces, dads being as active as as mums, that it becomes completely normal and baked in and uncontroversial and essentially boring. Essentially, it's as part of our community and the thought of a dad going out advocating for involved fatherhood is just a complete anathema. It doesn't need to happen anymore. That's what I would hope that it gets is that it's we've managed to change systems and policies and cultures so much that it's just 
it's assumed that this is the way we go about things. Now, kind of like to what Colleen was saying, what's happening in Scandinavia and the latte dads, and it's just part of who we are. That's where I would love to see this ending up, where you know the, the role of advocates is essentially redundant <laughs> from now on. In the short term, look, I, I, I really want to see those numbers in terms of dads taking primary care, dads taking extended parental leave, dads working part-time, dad job sharing to start to rise more sharply. And, you know, I think we haven't really even got to the impact of COVID, but, you know, I think it's had a, a bit of a mixed result, but it has shown, I think, to a range of dads and a range of industries what is actually possible in their lives in terms of balancing in work and family. So I think if what we've talked about here today is starting to make an impact and, and as Colleen said, you know, Gen Zs and millennials are really driving this change we will hopefully see in the next sort of set of census figures and, you know, an ABS data that those numbers are picking up quite sharply. We'll hopefully also see more companies introducing generous parental leave schemes. You know, Colleen is absolutely right. The the public government parental leave scheme is is still lagging, even with the changes of, of this, this year. It's still not the gold standard. That needs to be much higher as well. So I would love to see that, you know, our parental leave schemes are actually, you know, at the top of the OECD and sort of keeping up with Scandinavia and Canada and others. And that just the, where, you know, you know, for instance, I was at the swimming pool this morning with my son for his swimming lesson. And I just thought I was mindful. We had the podcast coming up. So I did a, I did a straw poll of just dads to mums around the, the pool center. So it was 9.30 on a Friday morning. There was about four dads, including myself, watching their kids swim. And there were about 16, 17 mums. Not great, obviously. It's not woeful, woeful like it used to be, but still got a ways to go. So I would love to, let's say, and when I'm going back to watch him swim in two years' time, that that's, you know, a much more even split. That would be a sign to me, at least at a grassroots level, that things are moving the right direction. It's actually probably representative of where we're at society in terms of percentages. Yeah, I wasn't a bad figure. You know, it's a very, you know, it's only one data set, so it's a bit dodgy, but... I was. I thought the same. I thought, yeah, it's about right for where we are now. It's certainly better than it was when I started out in this journey, but it's nowhere near where we need to be. No, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Look, I I would just uh, echo Rob's remarks. I I would like to see this completely normalized. And there's really only two actions I would recommend, and and we've talked about it. One is, you know, if you're working in an organization that has or is considering shared parental leave is that you really do all you can to encourage men and to celebrate men and share that share their stories we have had firms that have actually experienced an 800 percent increase in men who are taking parental leave because that's what the organization is doing that's the first. So it's, you know, if you don't have it, you just find your allies and really educate everyone about what's the benefit to fathers, mothers, the company, our economy, etc. And the second one, right now, what we're seeing is a bit of a divide because we have these large corporates that are offering shared parental leave. And you've got small and mid-sized firms, which make up the majority of our companies in Australia, who are really struggling to even offer two, three, four weeks. Mm. So what I'd like to see second is a bit of advocacy towards our federal government to act to say, look, you've you've started the reform there. It is essential that we are offering this to every father in Australia and that there is a designated portion because we are not going to shift our culture if we're only focused on 
the very small portion of white collar professionals. So write to your MP. I write to mine all the time. Rob and I share an MP. She knows us well. <laughs> um, if you want, if you want a form letter, we're happy to provide that. <laughs> this is what we need in terms of parental leave in the country. And it's got to be not 26 weeks by 2026. It's got to be 52 weeks mm. by 2026. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's at minimum wage. If we want to follow the UK, um, or Canada, we'd be offering, you know, full pay for 37 weeks with a designating portion, at least in Canada and Scandinavia for fathers. But happy to help with that advocacy. Uh, it's really essential. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely really well said. And it's so important that to be able to have the, the shared leave. I actually heard of a story this week where in COVID in the UK, the father was allowed there for the first two hours after the baby was born. And then because of COVID was then told to leave, which really from birth, mm. it's actually setting up the care arrangements for that child, that it's only the mother that's able to care for it in hospital. And it's interesting that view that they had. I was very glad that in Australia, they at least allowed both parents to be there because they saw the importance of it. But it was sad that, yeah, that there's those scenarios but as we were talking earlier it starts these start from birth or even before birth these systemic issues and the norm the gender-based norms that we have and certainly let's hope that these these parental leave reforms continue to stay front of mind it's like the work that say Georgie Dent and the parenthood are doing the reports that are coming out that that keep it front of mind. I know, Rob, you were talking about one in a report last week around, you know, the fatherhood penalty and the impacts and things like that. So these reports are really good to highlight the reforms that are needed and also give a fact-based discussion. It's just not what we know as, as hearsay, but certainly keeping mm. up that advocacy is so important. So if you are listening, write to your MP, be vocal about it, be vocal about it with your employees because it is that 80% of SME businesses that can actually create those changes. And, you know, it's just like superannuation. They could always put some money into a fund that they need to have and they'll get it back in their return. They'll get it back in long-term employees and things like that. I know this, we could actually keep talking forever on this topic. We're three very passionate people around this, but I know that all good things eventually need to come to an end, but I always end every podcast with on what you do for self-care. So I'll start off with you, Colleen. What do you do for self-care? Sure. I, I do ocean swimming. That's my happy place. I just meditate, forget about everything and come up with some, my best ideas are in the middle of the ocean. So that's what I do. Fantastic. And how about yourself, Rob? Similar, although Colleen would leave me for dead in open ocean swimming. I like <laughs> going to the beach and, and floundering around. Meditating too, I find has been super helpful for me the last few years. And going to the movies, I love that experience. I don't care if I'm the only one in the cinema. I just still, something about it, I just find so relaxing. Oh, so good. That's what I missed when I was 2021 and I had my son. I used to love going to the Mubs and Bubs movies just so I yeah. could just go to the movies, but couldn't do that in 2021. Now, how can people connect with both of you? Colleen, do you want to share how people can connect with you? Sure. So on LinkedIn, Colleen McKinnon, Colleen with one L just to be different and Mac Kinnon, not Mick, or via my website at inclusivityq.com.au. And how about yourself, Robin? You can also give a plug for your book. Oh, yes. So if, if you're interested and in, in you're, you're risking wanting to hear more from me, you can buy my book, Man Raises Boy, which is all about sort of my 
journey so far about fatherhood and what what I, I hope to, to get out of raising a, a little boy to be a you know a healthy beautiful good young man available online still booktopia and other places linkedin like colleen so rob Starrick on, on linkedin you'll see me there and then also on twitter if you pop in my name i think it's rob underscore Starrick as the handle and there'll be a photo of me and hopefully you can spot me out so yeah if anyone's got any further questions you know i'd love all experiences always love hearing from parents and their own experiences do feel free to, to reach out and thanks for having us here today, Karina. Yes, thanks so much, Karina. No, the pleasure's all mine. I have to say, I've followed both of you for quite a while and I was very excited when Colleen replied back to my LinkedIn message that <laughs> about being on this podcast and then she then invited Rob on as well. So I have to say, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much, both of you, for your time, your valuable insights. I have to say, this conversation has definitely filled my cup for today. And I really thank you both again. So connect with both Colleen and Rob. And as a key takeaway for this, keep advocating yourselves and also for your husbands and your partners in this. We all need to work together. It's not a woman's issue to change gender diversity. It's a societal issue. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Working Mama podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast catch-up. Please also feel free to contact me on any of the Working Mama social channels. Remember, Mama is M-U-M-M-A, or website www.workingmama.com.au. I would appreciate you to share this podcast with friends and colleagues, especially those that are parents managing the juggle. And I would really appreciate if you had to take the time out to leave a review of the podcast. Thank you and see you next time. Have a great week.